First Timothy chapter 2. Let's start off here in verse 3. We're going to read verse 3 and 4, and then we'll get started. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. As we uh, continue this series of evangelism training, may we uh, take all this information and do something with it that we could actually apply it. Uh, to our lives as we go out and present a clear, concise gospel to a lost and dying world that they have an opportunity to be saved and then uh, secondarily come into the knowledge of the truth uh, that we might be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so thank you all for being here this morning. Folks online, we thank you all for joining us too. Um, I forgot to mention them earlier, but we're thankful for you all to join us as well. So as we see here, the whole concept of what we've been dealing with as we've been going through the evangelism training is evangelism. The whole point of it is, is to come to a better understanding of what we're to do and how we're going to go about it. So if you would uh, go to Romans chapter three, and I just want to uh, remind us and reiterate a few things that we've gone through uh, as, as we've come through this series. Uh, one thing that I will say is um, there's there's a lot of information that I want to make sure that we're all clear on uh, so that when we go out and present the gospel, we present it in a clear and concise way that people can trust correctly. Um, a guy from Norway, uh, Carl Coates, uh, he's a he's a pastor. Uh, in Norway, he's originally from South Africa, but he's he he lives in Norway and he's trying to start a church over there. And he's got small groups that he deals with. Uh, he sent me a video this morning. He said, "Listen to this video right around this particular time." And then he said, um, "Based on what this guy says, do you think that he's saved?" And uh, then he said, "Also, go and listen to this section and tell me what you think about this." And it was the old. He woke up in the middle of the night and he just said, God, I want to be saved and I just give you my life. <laughs> he was like, so is he saved? Well, a few, about three minutes later, he says that there was no faith or anything like that involved. He was like, it was just, I just cried out to God and he, he saved me. And I'm like, based on that, he's not. We've talked about those shortcuts of Give Christ your life. Give Christ your heart. Let him come into your heart. All that stuff. That's not what it is. And the fact that he says there was no faith involved or anything like that tells me what? Well, how is it that God saves today is by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us there has to be faith involved. You have to trust God in something. And what you're supposed to put your faith in is what we see here. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. This is the starting point. And uh, as we've said before, as we go through and we deal with people, one of the things that we first have to deal with is there is a problem. There's a problem that every person that's alive deals with. Now, one of the things we've mentioned before is you are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Every person, that's how we're born. We're born with that sin nature already there. And so then we don't become a sinner by doing things. It's already there and we do it. And so then a lot of times uh, churches out there, they'll say, 
um, because you do X, Y, and Z, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. No, you're going there anyway. <laughs> that, that's, your, that's your destination. And that's what this says here. Why? Notice in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Well, let's look at verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Why is there no difference? For all, how many? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's every person's position. That's where they are. At this particular moment, if they're unsaved, they are in sin. Ephesians chapter 2. Hold your place there. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul, of course, here in Ephesians chapter 2 is talking to saved individuals at Ephesus. And notice what he says. And you hath, that's past tense, hath he quickened who were, all right? So there's a particular time in their life where they, and of course, we've talked about this before, we're, we're down here, right? And somebody comes along and says, that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's done that for you. There comes a point in your life you say, I trust that and that alone, right? What happens is he says, you, notice, and you hath he quickened. Well, when was this person quickened? the moment that they believed in that death, burial, and resurrection. They weren't quickened before. They're quickened the moment that they trust in that. Notice, made alive. Yes, yeah. They were dead, made alive. Yeah, yeah. So then when we look at that, he says, notice, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So at this particular time, is this person now dead? The moment they believe, are they now dead? No, they're made alive, right? So they're made alive. But back here, he says they were what? Dead in what? Trespasses and sins, right? So when we look at this, does he, does he differentiate between here you're made alive, here you're dead in sins and trespasses? He says... You were, that means at one time you were, but now you're not, right? Now that you've been quickened, you're no longer in those dead, you're no longer dead, you're alive. Notice, wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. When we were back here, what did we do? We did exactly what Satan wanted us to do. We did exactly what our fallen nature does. We did trespasses and sins because that's who we were. But the moment that we trust, we're no longer dead in trespasses and sins. We're made alive. And at that particular moment, something takes place that that's no longer true about us. Right? We're no longer dead. So then when you go back to Romans chapter 3... Verse 23, when he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that's where this right here is, right? And everybody is in this position, and it's not until you hear that truth, you believe it. We talked about that, went through all that, Ephesians chapter 1. You hear the truth, you trust and believe the truth. At the moment you trust and believe, you're no longer dead, but you're made alive. 
you're no longer under trespasses and sins. You're now forgiven of that and you can move on, right? That's an important thing to be able to deal with. Notice verse 24. Verse 23 is the problem. Verse 24, here's the solution. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So what it is is we're justified how? What's that word after that? Freely. Is that an important word? <laughs> remember, that was the one that Eve left out back in Genesis. Remember, we may freely eat. She didn't say freely. We can eat of any tree of the garden. But that word freely is important. Why is that important? Well, that's that issue when I was talking about that gentleman. Um, hold your place there. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. The issue of being justified freely, that's this right here. Notice Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are ye saved. Through what? Working for it. Is that what it says? <laughs> by tithing. Is that what it says? By walking an aisle. By getting water baptized, by asking Christ to come in your heart. No, it's none of that. It's what? By grace through faith. What's faith? Just simply trusting what God said. And we'll see what that is in a moment. Notice, and that not of yourselves. It is the what? That's a free gift, right? <clears throat> when you talk about something freely given, that's a gift. You don't do anything to get it. <clears throat> God does that absolutely because he wants to. Because when we start off in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says what? It's God's will that all men be saved. Will everybody be saved? No. Because you have to accept the gift that he offers. And he offers it to you absolutely free of charge. In fact, there's nothing we can do, say, think, feel, or give to match what he's giving us. Right? <coughs> and we move on verse 9 he even declares it even more not of works by the way let's let's pause there real quick that gift right there that gift in verse 8 what is that gift that he's giving salvation eternal life right now the problem is people will come along and they'll either say that grace is that gift or they'll even say that faith is the gift and that's a Calvinistic doctrine is what they're doing is they're saying you can't believe. So God has to give you faith as a free gift for you to, to actually believe. And that's Calvinistic doctrine. And it slipped into a lot of different churches and people don't even realize it. Okay. So they're saying that you're saying that they're saying that God will determine mm -hmm. whether you are going to have that faith or not. He has, he has to choose to give you faith. So there goes free will. No. No. Yeah, what they're trying to make it out to be. Yeah. And I've got books over here on Calvinism. If you don't believe me, you can go read the stuff because I don't want you to just take my word for it. I've got, I've got videos I watch of it, this stuff over here, some books <coughs> that's for the position. That's what they say. They say, and I've had people, I've talked to them, 
that God has to give you faith as a free gift. I happen to have a dear friend, Mark, mm-hmm. who I adore as a human being. We are good friends, but he is a boasting, proud Calvinist. I yeah, mean, and that's what, no that's what Calvinism will no do. <laughs> Calvinism, Calvinism makes you boastful. And what's this right here say? Notice this, verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. It takes everything off of you. Right? It proves what gift he's talking about. The thing that you can't get there is salvation. Now, how do we know? When you, when you think about this, it's the, the light of the glorious gospel, right? When, when that light comes from you hearing this gospel, when that light comes, it shines in a dark, dead person, and the light says, here's true, and you can say, I trust that or not, right? And it's, I just simply believe exactly what it says. Now, back over in Romans chapter 3, we see this, <clears throat> We see this exact same thing. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. Now, if grace was the free gift over in Ephesians, then he would say, by grace, you're freely given, right? So you're given grace to be, he's saying what? Being justified freely, justified. Here's the issue with, and and people bring this up all the time, and I like this. justified so people will say it's just as if i'd never sinned that's the way god looks at you that's the issue of justification right what that is is you are made righteous that's free not faith, not grace, all that is, but this is the thing that he gives you freely, is you are made his righteousness. Not just made righteous, but you're made his righteous. His perfect righteousness is given to you the moment that you trust in that. That's why you're no longer dead in sin. You're alive. Now, and the question is, and we get this all the time, is, if God, the moment you trust in that, God forgives you of all your sins, what happens if you sin? Well, he's already forgiven me. So what do I get to do? I thank the Lord that he still sees me this way, even though I've sinned. He sees me just as if I hadn't sinned, but I have. But he doesn't see me that. He sees me this way still. Because he looks at, he looks at the sun. When he sees us, he looks and he sees the sun. Because we're in him. And that, that's just that's how can you? <laughs> then, uh, then you all, we already have words of God saying things about the Father. So yeah, that's what He's saying about us. Yeah, exactly. What what He look and and when you look over in Ephesians chapter one, it talks about you're accepted in the beloved, right? Well, when Christ when He's baptized and God says, "This is my beloved Son." In whom I'm well pleased. Right? When we're in his son, that means he's what with us? 
he's well pleased with us too. Not because we're good, but because we're in the Son. And it's glorifying the Son and the work that the Son did on the cross. And it's freely given to us, how? By His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God says, I'm going to save you by what the Son did. And the Holy Spirit says, well, here's the words that you're going to believe. So the, the Godhead is involved in salvation. They all made a plan. God made a plan before the foundation of the earth that he was going to do this. And God says, I'm going to, through the Son, save my creation. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to write it down and preserve it so that people can read about it and trust it. And God says, I'm going to use my word to do that. Now, <clears throat> how do we do that? How do we accept that? What's the result of that would be we, by faith, trust what he did. And then verse 25, this is what God says. Here's, here's the interesting thing about it. <clears throat> verse 25 is, here's what God says about the cross. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Now, what's that word propitiation mean? That means a fully satisfying payment. So when God says, I look here at the sun. God says, my justice looks at this and says, I'm appeased, if you will. Right? He says, I look at this and say, I'm going to declare this is the thing. And, and you see this here in a second. He says, this is now met. My justice is met because of the son. And when we trust in the son, we become part of him. And notice what he says. That's why it means it's a fully satisfying payment. How, how satisfying? Fully, completely. There's nothing you can add to it, right? Whom God has set forth. And here's the thing. He set it forth saying, here's what I believe it is. Set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Now, that right there, through faith in his blood, that's the father's faith in what, what the blood did. Right? And that's an important thing because a lot of people miss that. When God says the blood that Jesus Christ shed, that is fully satisfying my justice. And that's what God believes. Notice, why does he do that? Is to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So what this is doing is it goes all the way back and gets everybody throughout time. And God says, I can go and save everybody because of what the son did. And I can also do that for everybody that's coming in after that. It says this one event in time takes care of it all. And God says, I believe that that's what took care of that. And I believe that's what took care of that. And he says, agree with me. Yeah. So the people that before that, that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, they, they actually believed they were saved? So here's what's going on. And, and that's kind of a tricky thing because, because and, 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 and this is one, like, this goes back to the question you had this morning was, you know, a lot of people say there's one gospel throughout the whole Bible. So, question, did Abraham know that Jesus Christ was going to die on the cross for his death, burial, and resurrection for his sins? No. Or Noah? None of them did. Noah didn't. David didn't. None of the Old Testament saints, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those guys, when they were writing that stuff, you know, we looked at Matthew 16 uh, last weekend when we were going through the Bible thing. 
None of those guys, and what happens is the one gospel people, they'll say, all those guys looked forward to the cross. None of them did. None of them did. The guys who Christ pulled out, the 12, they didn't teach that. They didn't know about it until he was getting ready to go to the cross. He said, and we looked at it last time, Matthew 16, I'm going to go. And what's Peter say? No, that's not going to happen. So none of those were looking for that. But what God's saying is, I, I, my justice is satisfied by this blood. And that allows me to go and save everybody up through that time who, by faith, did what I told them to do. So because they had. Yeah. So they're saved by faith in what God said to them. We're saved by faith in what God said to us. Always been faith. Yeah. And the most important part, there's two issues here. You notice in verse 22, it says, even the righteousness of God. By the way, have you ever thought about this? The righteousness of God is what you have. <laughs> it's amazing. Notice. Well, yeah. And, and so many people don't even realize it, and they don't know how to use, utilize that or put it to use in their everyday life because they don't know about it. I've said, we've said this before, you can't teach what you don't know. You can't live what you don't know. You can't live as a as a as a as a completely justified person, if you don't know that you're completely justified. But notice, it says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. So, God says, I look at Christ's faith and say, His faith, when He went to die on the cross, the blood that He shed, that faith was put on display, and my faith says, God's faith says, his, his blood, the faith that God has in his blood of the faith that Christ put on display allows his justice to be satisfied. So the amazing thing is God's faith in Christ's faith to do what the Godhead said before the foundation of the world. That's the issue. And what we do is we put our faith in what Christ did. They put their faith in what? What God's word says, same thing as we do. So it's always been by faith. It's just back here, faith was what? Go build an ark. And it's interesting, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, when, when God says to Abram, says, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house, he leaves by faith. God said, leave, and he leaves. That's faith. No. And that's what faith is, is just doing what God said. What's God say now is just trust what Christ did. And if you do that, then what? You move from death to life. You move from being in Adam to in Christ. And it's, it, like I've said, it's the greatest transaction you'll ever be a part of. And we shouldn't be shocked. Yeah, and we shouldn't be shocked because 
the apostate Israel religious leaders, they were doing the same thing at that time. And it goes all the way back. I mean, Genesis chapter 3, what did God say to Adam and Eve is you can freely eat of any tree except for this one. So what would have faith done? Eaten freely of anything but that one. That's what faith would have done. But because faith wasn't exercised, she took of the fruit, and then Adam took of the fruit as well. So they didn't, by faith, do what God said. Well, what God say today is trust in what Christ did and believe the same thing I do. And notice this in verse 26. <clears throat> to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be what? Just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So God is just in what he's doing to be able to take this event and go save all those folks and this event and go save all these folks after that. Um, he said, and, and the, the important thing there is, notice, to declare I say at this time his righteousness. He's declaring at this time when? When he writes Romans chapter 3. Did anybody know prior to this time about that information? The answer is no. Paul is revealing something absolutely new about that cross and what God's doing through the cross. These guys back here didn't know about it at all. So they couldn't have, by faith, looking forward to it. Yeah, God says it was hidden in him. Um, and that's an interesting thing to, to make sure that we think about. So being able to effectively and clearly and concisely say Romans 3, 23, 24, and 25, showing people those three verses, that's the quickest, easiest presentation of the gospel that you can come across, right? And again, reminder of, of how we get to that point is, one, we have that conversation with somebody, we can get in, we can get in a conversation with somebody, and we ask them simply, if you were to die today, do you know where you'd go? And real quick, you can find out about them. If they say, oh, no, I'm going to go to hell because this, that, and the other, then you know what you're dealing with. And if you've got somebody who says, well, I'm going to go to heaven, then your follow-up question would be, how do you know? And if they say anything other than trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ, they're not saved. So now that, that becomes a tough battle because now you're, now you're having to deal with what they already think. And you have to show them the verses. That's why these three verses are very important. Verse 23, here's your problem. Verse 24, here's the solution. Verse 25, how do you do it? You believe what God says about it. It's that simple, right? Um, <clears throat> now, that gets us up to this point that we're dealing with on, on these things. And we talked about the issue of uh, babes in Christ last week, and we dealt with the, the issue of Romans chapter 14, uh, the weaker brother, stronger brother. What's going to happen is, the moment that you're able to present the gospel to somebody and they actually trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the blood of Christ, when they trust in that and that alone, that moment they move from Adam into Christ and they're now a babe. Now, you've got a baby. Are you just going to leave it to itself and just go fend for itself and go, go forage for your own food? No, you've got to take care of it, right? I mean, 
You're going to take care of it. So what, what this, what this lesson is dealing with is the follow-up with somebody that has trusted in Christ. All right. So down at the very bottom, very first thing, immediately follow up with them. Don't leave them to themselves. Don't, you know, and I've said this before, when you look at, when you look at the majority of people on TV, they'll say, if you've prayed that prayer, we believe you're saved, which the prayer doesn't save anyway. That's a whole other issue. But then they'll say what? Go find a Bible-believing church and get involved. Don't be that person. Say, I want to meet with you. Don't just leave them to themselves because what they're going to do is they're going to go find Christian radio and they're going to listen to a whole bunch of stuff they're going to get super confused and they're going to think that they've lost their salvation at some point. Guarantee it. Because they, they, what majority of Christianity out there says is that's not sufficient enough. You've got to do something to keep it or you got to do something to prove you've got it. You either have to do something to get it, do something to keep it, or do something to prove you've got it. You can't do anything to get it. You can't do anything to keep it. You can't do anything to prove you got it. It's going to take, the book's going to take care of itself. You get in the book. You get them in Romans chapter 3. Um, the booklet that we have over here, um, Dictionary of the Gospel. If you need some, we've got a bunch of them. This would be a good book to get them started on. Because what it does is it goes through the dictionary. It is the dictionary of the gospel. And it goes through and starts off. Um, number one, what is righteousness? Number two, what's imputation? Number three, what's justification? What's grace? What's redemption? Propitiation, faith, remission, forbearance, reconciliation, sanctification. This will put them in a good place to start from here. Get them in the book of Romans. That's what this is dealing with, the first six chapters of the book of Romans. So give them this book. Start them off in Romans because everybody always asks, what books, where should somebody start reading if they're going to start reading the Bible? Well, first, get them a good Bible if they don't have one. Get them the right one and get them in Romans chapter 1. Because in Romans chapter 1, when they start reading through that, they're going to get to Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5. They're going to start learning some stuff about themselves and here's the thing, you're now the only connection to pure Bible study. You're now the stronger brother to this weaker brother. That's what we were talking about last week in Romans 14, right? Because you know a little bit more than they do right now. You may, you may know very little bit more than they do, but you're going to be the person that they need to go to to be able to, to, to help out. Um, and that's one of those things when we look at the, uh, Romans chapter, or Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul, Paul deals with, with that issue of follow-up. Romans 14, he does too. We looked at that before. You evangelize and edify, and then you exhort, and then you encourage them and, and move them on. Part of the gospel is helping them come into the knowledge of the truth, um, doing that follow-up. That follow-up is very, very important. Um, now, <clears throat> that second page there, this is one of those first things that, that we would do after we've done this, and we'll see this a little bit more as we go through. There's an issue with 
you don't want this to end up being like a five-hour visit with somebody. Try to keep it about an hour, something like that, if you go and visit somebody. And we'll talk about that in Lesson 7. Um, so top of, top of page 2, again, we go through those same crunch questions that we started off with before. If you were to die right now, where would you spend eternity? Their, their answer now should be what? Heaven, if they've actually trusted it. Number two, how do you know? Their answer should be what? I trusted in the blood of Christ, right? Um, number three, what, what did God say that he would give you the moment you trusted? <coughs> eternal life, right? Number four, how long does eternal life last? Forever. Uh, you would think that that would be one of those that you wouldn't have to define, but unfortunately over the last few months or so, you've had to define Eternal means eternal. It means forever. Anyway, number five, do you think that you could ever get out of the family of God? What's that issue going after? Do you think that you can lose your salvation? Here's the thing. If you didn't do anything to get it, can you do something to lose it? You can't because you didn't do anything to get it. Yeah. 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 Um, if you've got a person that says, I believe the gospel, I, I have a roommate at home who says he fully believes the gospel to talk to him. He loves God with all his heart. Mm -hmm. He thinks you can, that there's one way you can lose it. You can give it away. Mm -hmm. Is that? It's not yours to give away. I know, but is that a salvational <laughs> yeah. issue um, or is it a judgment seat of Christ issue? I don't mean to get off that. that. So, so when you're, when you're talking about is, is eternal security, um, a salvation issue, um, I think it, I think it could possibly be both, um, because did they really trust in Christ? Yeah. So have they actually placed their faith in what Christ has done? Because if they think that they've lost it, then that means that they either never had it or they have it and they're doubting what it was. So they're perverting the gospel. And that, yeah, it's not good. So, no, 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 no. And you're curious about, about your friend, yeah. And, and the issue with the, the cursing that, um, perverting the gospel in Galatians, what he's dealing with there, perverting is you're adding something to it. Um, so if you're taking the gospel and you're adding something to it, so that would be, all right, you're saved by water baptism. You're saved by circumcision in, in that particular instance, right? Um, he, here's, the thing, here's the thing that I would go through is I would go back through that and talk to him your answer to verse or to, to the fourth question is, uh, well, your your answer to ver, uh, question three was, what did God give you when you trusted was eternal life? Well, question four is, how long is eternal life? Forever. It does. It's not probation. It's not you're saved until, but how long are you saved to? Forever. 
It's eternal life. How long is eternal? It's forever. Can it be shorter than forever and still be forever? <laughs> no. Forever is forever. That's part of that. Yeah. Like you're maybe thinking your own thought of, you know, eternal life is out there, it's not right now. Yeah. And you're you're promised it now. Mm-hmm. And so then I would I would take him back and go back through the issue and show him the verses. I would go back through it. Well hopefully well Yeah. Yeah. Well I I got that. But the verses, the verses will take care of themselves. So if you just gave him the verses and said, hey, have you ever read this? Have you ever read this? And, and so then I would take him back. Well, you said that the, one of the things that you're given is eternal life, and it's not probation, right? You're completely and totally absolved of it forever, and it's not you're, you're good until a particular point. So I would go back through and, and double-check with that. Um, <clears throat> And that, that should take care of it. Because if you're given eternal life and you've trusted God and, and you know that you've been given eternal life, how can you? It's eternal, right? So then can you get out of it? Well, their, their answer automatically should be, well, I've got eternal life, so he won't take that away because he's given it to me. I didn't do anything to get it, so I can't do anything to get rid of it. And that's, that's always a struggle because we have this warped idea of what God is and who God is. And we think, well, he's just going to beat us down if we do something wrong or tire gets flat or whatever it is. Something happens and we're not actually trusting in what he said. Now, I would say it would be more he might be saved, but he doesn't understand his position. So it would be an identification issue, which would be more so... If he's actually trusted the gospel, then he needs to understand who he is in Christ. And that's when you get into Romans 6, 7, and 8. Um, and that'll, that'll take care of it. Because 6 says you're freed from sin. You don't have to. And if you do, well, I've already been forgiven, so thank the Lord for it and get it, get it out of your life. Replace it with something good. Romans 7 says you're dead to the flesh or dead to the law, so you don't have to keep the law. Um, and you try to keep the law, what it does is it puts you back to where you're thinking you're this guy, and that's what that issue is. That's why I'm saying it's an identification issue. And then Romans 8 says, you're dead to the flesh. You don't have to do what the flesh wants to do anymore because the flesh wants to go do this, and your, your alive spirit wants to go live this way. And so there's that battle uh, all the time. So it's, it's an identification issue is what I would say. Um, and understanding that and then living based off that identification. So I'd say probably more a judgment seat of Christ if they if they have actually trusted in, in the gospel, yeah. And from what you said, it sounds like it. Um, question six, what happens when you sin? Well, we just talked about that. Romans 6 takes care of that, right? Well, if all my sins were forgiven the moment that I trusted Christ, then what happens when I sin out here is... Well, if he's already forgiven me, and you can go to Ephesians and Colossians, we see that in other verses. We've already been forgiven, so what do we do is we say, Lord, thank you for already forgiving me, 
And I can now deal with that sin and get it out of my life. I can stop sin. That's what Romans 6 tells you. Does that mean that you're going to be sinless forever? No, because we're going to keep messing up. But what happens when we mess up is, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. I can now deal with it. And I put it off and I put on who I am in Christ. And that's why it's so important to get that identification issue down is because if you understand who you are, you say, I sinned because I chose to. And since I chose to do it, I can choose not to do it. It's the identity issue. Years ago, before I even got saved, I was in high school and I got in trouble because I said a word that nobody should ever say in public. But I said it and a teacher heard me and I got in trouble. And at that time, in-school suspension was we had a trailer outside the high school. So we went to the trailer for three days. I was in the trailer for three days and no teacher sent me work. So I sat there and I stared at a wall the entire time. And I got to thinking, and this was before I was even saved, but I just, I was thinking, I choose not to cuss in front of my mom and dad. And if I can choose not to then, I can choose not to all the time. And that's what it comes down to. And it's just something little, but it's a choice that you make. You look at your life and you say, I've sinned, I've messed up. That comes short of God's glory. He's already forgiven me of it. So Lord, thank you for that. But now I can actually deal with it. Take it to the cross and say, you've already dealt with it, so let me get rid of it and choose to do something else instead. What grace does is actually allows you to deal with your life issues and life's problems. And even when sin comes along, you can say, I can stop doing that. Now, the stop doing part, (laughs) sometimes that's a little bit tougher, but we have the ability to do so because we're in him. Not in our own power, but because we're in him and he's perfect and he's righteous and he doesn't do anything wrong. If we're in him, we can get rid of it because we're in him. Through the words on the page, right? Mm-hmm. Count it to be true. Mm-hmm. You see that? You, you see that you see that in Romans chapter 6 he says we know some stuff he says since you know it reckon it to be true count it to be true for yourself and the last part is yield yield not your members as instruments of unrighteousness but rather instruments of righteousness unto God because of you know who you are Count it to be true. Just because you know it doesn't mean that, you know, that you've counted it true. That is a conscious decision to apply what you know about yourself. I know I'm complete in Christ. I, I know for a fact that that's true about me. Now, how does that help me yield my instruments, my arms and head and think and all that stuff? How do, I, how do I allow my life to yield to who I am that I know I am? that I've counted to be true. And that's why he brings up that issue of reckon. Yeah. And that's all it is. Just count it to be true. Just agree with what God says. Same way you agreed with what God says. And that's why in Colossians 2, he says, as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, how? By grace through faith. So walk ye in him. How? By grace through faith. Trust in the book. The book's there. The Bible's there for us to believe, to trust in. And 1 Thessalonians 2 says, 
It will work in you when you believe it. If you don't believe it, it's not going to work in you. If you just know it, it's not going to work in you. But believing is your reckoning. And there's a lot of people, and I, I was on a plane a few months, last month, and a lady said, I know that Jesus died for my sins, was buried and rose again. I know that. But she's not trusted it. She's not reckoned that to be true. She knows it. And there's a lot of people out there that go to churches that know that, but they've not counted it to be true for themselves. That's believe. And it's that simple. But we, church-wise, most people try to make it harder than what it actually is. Um, <clears throat> now, that's that part C there, we start getting into nailing down their understanding of the gospel and making sure that they understand what they have. That's when you get into the assurance, the completeness, your identification. Uh, get, them a, get them a Bible. Um, and help them out with the, the, with the, the edification issue. And we'll talk about that um, next week. But that part D, uh, when we get into that, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about those things. And where it's got the, uh, down there at the bottom, where it's got number two, share the first Bible study lesson with them. Um, this. Go over it with them. Set, a, set aside a time. Say, hey, let's meet within within a few days. Let's meet and let's talk about, you know, we'll go over the first chapter here together. Um, because, like I said, you're now smarter than them <laughs> because you know something other than just that you're saved. There's other things that we know that we can teach them. Um, so you're now their, their spiritual leader, if you will. You're their spiritual father in a way. Because you're the one that brought the gospel to them. They're the connection that you have to any church, to any scriptures whatsoever. You're the person. It's a very big responsibility. Um, but it's also a great responsibility. Um, but we'll stop there and we'll pick up at part C um, next week. So, questions, comments, concerns? Yeah, absolutely. We got... <laughs> We got a bunch up here, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I would say I would go through, read through that, uh, read through that, and uh, become familiar with it. And then when you have an opportunity to present the gospel to somebody and they actually believe it, and you go through those crunch questions, and you go through these three issues, and they've trusted it, have one to hand to them and say, "Hey, you know, within the next few days, let's meet, and we'll go. I want you to read it." And then, then we'll go through it together and just meet up. Just take them out to lunch. Meet it up. That, that pertain to salvation, atonement, mm -hmm. righteousness, justification, a couple more that would come to mind, that you'll find if you do a biblical word study of them, how God uses those words and, and what they mean in relation to salvation will be quite different. Mm -hmm. than how mankind defines his word. And that's what, that's what Tom did with that book. That's why he created that exactly. book is because of that. Yeah. Atonement in God's eyes does bring forgiveness. Mm -hmm. It's automatic. Mm -hmm. But you got to have atonement first. Yeah. And a lot of people, if you ask them to define these words, they can't even do it 
No. There's a chain of words you can follow that proves eternal security. Mm-hmm. Uh, it proves how salvation works. And it's by doing a word study of these words as they relate to salvation, it proves it out. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of those things when in Romans 5, when he talks about that, he says um, in, in Romans 5, 11, he says, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We have it. The moment that we're saved, we receive the atonement and we get all this stuff automatically. The mo- and, and he's dealing with he's dealing with saved people there. He's saying the moment you have that, you've got it. What what he what he what he means by atonement, you know, we we do the same thing with that. Um, when you, yeah. Well, the problem is, is there's four reconciliations, but everybody tries to make them all one. So that is a tricky thing. But just as we did, just if I'd never sinned, at one meant the moment that you trust in Christ, you're at one with God. Because you're in the sun. And that that's one of those things. We kind of do the same thing with that one. But there's there no, you're right. And that's one of the things that Tom does with that booklet, which is really it is. <clears throat> yeah. And he does it out of from the book of Romans. Oh yeah. 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 And so we try to figure out what it means um but like i said like there's four different reconciliations and what that is is you're changing the status of something so we were enemies now we're reconciled we're no longer enemies we're now sons he's changed our status from being enemies to being sons to being at one with him and so there and and again there's like four different reconciliations in scripture in paul's epistles Mm-hmm. So with that, so in Second Corinthians chapter five, and that's that's a big battleground for guys, uh, for whatever reason. Um, so when you look, it says nineteen to wit, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Right? How? What does it mean that He's reconciling the world unto Himself? Reconciling the world. The only other place you see that is in Romans eleven says, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world. What's the reconciling of the world? It's because Israel fell. God can now reconcile the world unto himself by the cross because Israel fell. It's a dispensational issue. And so now God says, I can now do something through the cross that I couldn't do before. And the moment that we trust in that, what God does is he reconciles us. And when the next person trusts, he reconciles us. And so he's reconciling, currently doing that. That's what the dispensation of grace is. He's reconciling the world to himself by not imputing their trespasses. Are we dead in sins here? Yeah. So if we're dead in sins, that's who we are. So if, if somebody's there and they die, they still have their sins. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. 
what God says is the moment you trust in that, you're no longer dead in your sins. You're now made alive, right? So what he's doing is, is he imputing their right, their their sins to them there? Right now, for for a lost person. Well, so here's here's, but here yeah. So here's the thing: Are they in sin? Yes. He's imputing their sins to them. It's on their account. The moment you trust him, he no longer he no longer imputes your sins to you. He takes it away, and he forgives you right there. But here he's you're still in your sins, so you're counted as a sinful person. You're in sin. So that that's the issue. There's a lot of stuff going around about what that is. That re, that that reconciliation there is God right now is when this person trusts, he no longer imputes their sin to them. Next person comes along when they trust, he doesn't impute their sin anymore. That's what he's dealing with there is he's currently reconciling the world to himself by the cross. And what people, what a lot of folks do is they change that reconciling the world. It says they change it to reconciled the world, saying it's a done deal. But he's currently doing that. And the way he's doing that is by the cross. Because this person's not reconciled. You have to make In a way. So he says, you're not reconciled here. But we as ambassadors go to that person and say, be reconciled. How? By trusting in what Christ did. The moment you trust, you're now reconciled. And that's, it. that's what God is right now doing today is he's currently reconciling the world to himself through the cross. But they're still in their sin. And there, there's, a slight, there's a slight change on that. So if... if if they're already forgiven, and that's part of what's taught, is they're not dead in their sins anymore. If they're already forgiven, that's not true. That undoes Ephesians chapter 2. If they're forgiven, they're not in their sins. And that's kind of a scary thing to say that lost people aren't in sin. Because Ephesians 2 says they are, right? We were, but now we're made alive because of that. So... You know, we, we talk about all the time in, in Romans in Second Timothy two, he talks about Hominius and Philetus, how they take the truth of the rapture and they move it. That's not rightly dividing. So if you take something and you move it, you're no longer rightly dividing. And so then when we take when we take forgiveness and move it back here, we're actually not rightly dividing. You're putting it at the wrong time. Mm-mm. No, but they take place at the exact same time. No, no, no. 